0: The scripture reading this morning, please turn with me or open your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll be reading verses 32 through the end of the chapter, and if you picked up a Bible in the back, that will be found on page 1008. So Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 32, we read, and what more shall I say? wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. May God bless the reading and now the hearing of his word.
1: Thanks, John, for that reading, and I mean, Jonathan did a great job of setting up this sermon this morning with those songs, because if you were paying attention um, as we were singing about God's goodness and also the tragedies and sadness and pain that comes into our lives in the midst of all of that and how we wrestle by faith with all those things, that's exactly where we're going this morning. So thank you, Jonathan, for your leadership in that dimension of our service this morning. We're in Hebrews eleven, we're going to be wrapping up the chapter today, but not the series, because we have one more person to consider, and that's Jesus. He's in chapter twelve, verses one and two, which we're going to consider next week. It's kind of a shame that the chapter breaks that way, but that's the way it is. I think I think chapter twelve verses one and two is a massive conclusion to chapter eleven, not verse thirty. Or, sorry, verse 40 of chapter 11. That's not the conclusion of what the writer is saying in, in this part of the letter or sermon that was recorded. So, that's where we're going next week. But this week, we look at verse 32 through 40. And if you're a guest with us, haven't been with us as part of this series, my name is Mark. Um, I'm one of the pastors of the church. Next week, we're going to be having our fifth Sunday fellowship meal right after the service. Just wanted to make that announcement to you. I know some of you saw it on the email, but if you didn't read it, I know that that's coming. So just bring your Thanksgiving leftovers, whatever's left, and we'll try to put everybody to sleep with turkey by 2 p.m. Because I'm sure that's the way we're all going to feel. Three points this morning to our sermon. First one, through faith, God's people do conquer. Second point, through faith, God's people are conquered. And through faith, God's people receive God's condemnation, commendation, not condemnation, commendation. That would be a very different sermon. So through faith, God's people do conquer. Verse 32 through the first part of verse 35. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I mean, that's the stuff of epic action movies, isn't it? That's the exciting stuff that can happen. By faith in a sovereign, powerful, omnipotent God who rules over all things. Who has the power to intervene in our natural order and shake things up and do things that are unexpected and cataclysmic and wonderful and awesome. That's the God we serve. And that's the God these six that are mentioned in verse 32 served. We start with Gideon. You remember Gideon, don't you? Amazing figure in the Old Testament in the book of Judges. Gideon gave Israel victory over the Midianites with his force of just 300 men. Conquered, wiped them all out. Obeying God's command, he armed them with torches and earthen jars. When the trumpets were blown, they smashed the jars and God threw the enemy into a panic. Great story. Judges 7. Read it this afternoon. Also, we get Barak. Barak led the United Tribes of Israel and their victory against Sisera and the mighty Canaanite chariot army. Then we get Samson, great figure, one man war machine against the Philistines. And he led them, especially the way he ended his life was a great example of what can be achieved by faith. Achieving in his death by faith what he failed to do much of his life because of his unbelief. Samuel this great Old Testament prophet, this pivotal Old Testament prophet, prophet, his long career as a judge and as a prophet was an absolutely crucial one. It bridged the years of turmoil that was, the, that was under the judges to the early monarchy that he did so much to create. Without Samuel's faithful ministry, Israel would have fallen into total disarray. The Philistines would have subjugated them, and David would have died an unknown shepherd. What a massive thing God did in Samuel's life and through Samuel. And then, of course, Jephthah. Jephthah, I skipped over him when I was going along, but we're coming back to him now. Jephthah, through faith, led the tribes in battle against the Ammonites. So you get a lot of tribal leaders here, a lot of military leaders, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, and even Samuel uh, with uh, Samuel with David's influence. So the most recognizable name of the list is obviously David. They are listed right before Samuel in verse 32. Israel's greatest king, the man after God's own heart, slaying the giant Goliath by faith. And his career is elevated in the scriptures as one of the main Old Testament types for the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, these are great, great, extraordinary men who are profoundly sinful. You didn't think I was just going to give you the good resume, did you? Let's go back and look at the the bad resume of these dudes. All right? Gideon. Remember the fleece? When God would tell Gideon something, he would say, okay, God, but are you sure? Let me put this fleece out. And if you make the fleece wet and the ground dry, I'll know you're serious. So God did that. He did exactly what Gideon wanted him to do. And Gideon got up and led the army, right? No. No. No, got to be sure. So let's do the opposite. Make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And God did it again. Not the most impressive example of first-time obedience. Neither was Barak. Barak just had this one task. Lead Israel in battle against Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army. All right? Barak was told in advance by Deborah, the prophetess and judge of Israel at the time, that God would give him the victory prophetess speaks to you, it's guaranteed. But Deborah, can you come along with me? That's exactly what Barak did. Barak wasn't going to go unless she was going. Again, not the most impressive example of faith. Samson, well, he had a thing for the ladies. Big time. Rampant immorality in his life from time to time. Jephthah, this guy's biography is Sad. The son of a prostitute, shunned by his brothers, ran around with the wrong crowd, ended up having to kill his only child and offer her as a sacrifice because of a rash vow that he made. David, adulterer, murderer. So what's the point? The point is what Michael emphasized last week. God does extraordinary things through very ordinary sinful people. Now, what's important, though, to point out is that all these people, though they were not great people in and of themselves, they did serve a great God and had great faith at very pivotal moments. They weren't just full of unbelief, and God used them anyway. No, they're a mixed bag like all of us, but God used their faith at very pivotal moments in the history of redemption that is the Bible. And as a result, God used them to do great deeds like verses 33 and 34. Conquering kingdoms, enforcing justice, obtaining promises. Sounds like David, right? Shutting the mouths of lions. That's Daniel. Quenching the power of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they walked through Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. Escape the edge of the sword. That's Elijah escaping the sword of Jezebel. Were made strong out of weakness. Gideon. Became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That's sort of a summary of all that Gideon, Barak, Samson, and David and others did. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That's a reference to the son of the widow of Zarephath. All these victories were real, tangible, and transformative. So let's not step away from this passage without applying this to ourselves. God really is this great and really does life-transforming things category-altering things, society-changing things. He does that, and he does it for the glory of his own name. When we engage, church, in the kingdom of God moving forward, things will change. Lives will be transformed. Communities will be shaped. Families will be changed. Fantastic things can happen. People get saved. Marriages get revived. Men step up. Women and children flourish. Work comes alive. Mission advances. Churches get transformed. New churches get planted. Justice comes down. Sickness is healed. Oppression gets pushed back. All that happens today. Not just here. It's happening all over the world. It's happening in our community. We don't always see it. But it's happening. And when we conquer by faith, we must, or I, sa- I should say that when we live by faith, we must have this category God's people do conquer. Is your faith grasping that truth? That as you live out trust in God's promises, living according to His Word, honoring what He has said, honoring who He is. Is your life and is your faith big enough to take into account all that God might want to do? Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, right? He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or think. That was Paul's hope and prayer. He knew that his life and his mission hadn't boxed God in to what he was able to do. He said, God, you are capable and you are able of doing immeasurably and exceedingly more beyond all I can ask or think. And we must not be, believe anything different. However, we must also not not forget to realize that we live in a fallen, broken world. These cataclysmic epics in redemptive history, conquering kingdoms, obtaining promises, enforcing justice, stopping the mouths of lions. I mean, that would happen in every day. It wasn't happening all the time. Like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the next day is like, whoa, wonder what furnace I'm going to put out today. Or Daniel, which, wonder what lion's mouths I'm going to stop today. No, I wonder what army I'm going to put to flight today. No, most of our lives are lived in the normal rhythms of faithfulness to God, expectation of great things, but yet we live in the midst of a fallen, broken world So our expectations should be shaped by that, not necessarily our faith. Let me explain what I mean. Let me give you some examples. Most of your quiet times alone with the Lord are not going to be mountaintop experiences where you come down with a glowing face. They're going to feel like you're just pushing through, wiping the crust from your eyes as you hold a cup of coffee, yawning through your muddled prayers for God to help you and hallow his name somehow. Most of your times with your spouse are not going to be soaring heights of emotional and physical and spiritual ecstasy like that that might be presented in the latest romantic comedy. Rather, it's going to be faithful hugs, words of encouragement, and acts of service over a long haul because you realize that two sinners who said, I do, committed to love each other all their days. Most of your time with your family are not going to be like you experience on some vacations, where everyone has fun and gets along and engages in hour-long times of family devotion spontaneously with your two-year-old reciting 133 catechism questions correctly. (laughs) Most of the time, it's going to be the daily commitments around the dinner table to talk, read scripture, and pray while one child cries and one is alerting you that you have not adequately supplied their need for a cold beverage While another is falling out of their chair on their head for the third time in two weeks. That's what happens in the Redfern house. Most of your church ministry will not be soaring moments of worship. Marked by grateful praise from the gathered masses expressing their appreciation for your love and labors on their behalf. No, it's mostly going to be changing diapers. And keeping commitments, and returning phone calls, and providing meals, and asking questions, and offering prayer, and sending thank you notes, and hosting showers, and moving chairs, and making disciples, and building friendships, and a thousand other insignificant and absolutely kingdom-shaking glorious deeds. So we ought to be marked by joyful surprise, but no less confident gratitude when such things take place. There should be a level of wonder that God should privilege us, sinful, broken, needy people, to experience kingdom-shaking power. We should be amazed at that, but we should also expect it. Otherwise, I don't think we're living by faith. So while we ought to experience such things humbly, knowing that we've done nothing to deserve them, and they did not come by our hand, Nevertheless, God is great and can and is eager to do such things. So let's believe him for it. Second point. First point, through faith, God's people conquer. They do conquer. Second point, through faith, God's people are conquered. And this is where the chapter takes a dramatic shift in tone and experience. Notice some of the terrible things that are listed beginning in the middle of verse 35 through verse 38. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You want to sign up for that one? (laughs) They did. And it was the result of faith. The result of faith here is not what we see the result of faith being in verses 33 and 34. But it's still by faith. The result of faith here is suffering and even death rather than victory, success, and rescue. Rather than God's people conquering, they are being conquered. Verse 33 begins with, who by faith, you see that right in verse 33, who through faith conquered. And then we come down and without a break, we continue into verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured. That's still by faith. He has not changed his audience. These are all God's faithful people. Through faith, some received back their dead by resurrection. Through faith, some were tortured. There is no but between verse 35a and verse 35b. No but. It doesn't say, by faith, some women received back their dead by resurrection. But those who didn't believe enough were tortured which is a common refrain in broad evangelicalism today that the reason you suffer as you do is because of the faith that you have baloney that is not true that is not what the bible teaches everyone in who's listed in verse 32 through 38 are all Full of faith and some of them are suffering terribly and these verses stress to us and underscore for us how we should understand faith that it's not a guarantee of victory in this world, success or rescue all the time. The quality of faith in verses 35 to 38 is no different than that from verse 32 to 35. Some will teach us in our culture and even in certain branches of the Christian church, that the reason we encounter difficulty and suffering is because we lack faith, but the very reason these people suffer is because they do have faith. Having faith in God is no guarantee that life will go well. You notice the contrast in verse 34 and 37? Look at this with me. Verse 34, right in the middle, has this wonderful phrase, escaped the edge of the sword. Through faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. Verse 37, through faith, middle, they were killed with the sword. Both. For a biblical example of this, hold your finger in Hebrews 11 and go with me to Acts 12. Acts 12. We're going to see this principle play out in the lives of James and Peter, two of Jesus' disciples. Acts 12, verse 1. At that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Sounds like what we're experiencing in verses 35 to 38 of Hebrews. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Skip down to verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone on the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hand. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. How do you explain that? Prayers weren't being made for James. James wasn't a faithful Christian. James got killed because he lacked faith or he didn't have prayers for him. No. No. We see by faith James was killed with the sword following Jesus. By faith Peter was rescued from prison following Jesus. And who determines it? God determines it. That's who determines it. They were both superintended by God. Both situations. God could have stepped in and prevented James from receiving the sword. He didn't. And it wasn't a commentary on James' lack of faith. It doesn't say anything about that. It just said he was killed. So James dies by faith and Peter escapes by faith and both are superintended by God for the eternal good of each of them and both received approval for their faith and commendation from their God that's point 2 let's go back to Hebrews 11 now for the for the last point through faith God's people are commended so through faith God's people conquer through faith God's people are conquered And finally, through faith, God's people are commended. This is verse 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. You notice that in verse 39. All these, all these, who are mentioned in verses, really the whole chapter, but immediately, verses 32 to 38, all of these are commended through their faith. All of them. The ones who were tortured, the ones who suffered mocking and flogging, the ones who set in chains and imprisonment, the ones who were stoned, the ones who were sawn in two, the ones who were killed with a sword, the ones who went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. All these, though commended through their faith. They were commended by God. They were approved by God. And yet, the outcomes and their experiences in their life were very, very different. So the question is, then becomes for us, how are God's people able to, in some sense, be so indifferent to whether they are conquering or are being conquered? How? What, what is it about faith that enables us to put a foreign army to flight and yet be sawn in two? Two clues in this passage give us an answer to that. Here's the first one. God's people believe that God will provide something better than what life can give now or what death can take later. God's people believe That God will provide something better than what life can give now or what death death can take later. Has that not been a common theme throughout the entire chapter as we've looked at it? Yeah, it has. And we get a picture of it right there in verse 35. Notice, some were tortured, refusing to accept release, they had an opportunity to be released. And yet they didn't. Maybe they assessed that release wouldn't be, would be sin. Or would, it would compromise something that was going on that would make the, the, the watching world think that they didn't believe in God. These people didn't have a death wish. They believed something better was coming than what life could give now or what release could give now Or what death could take later. Why did they refuse to accept their release? It tells us. So that they might rise again to a better life. Heaven. Resurrection. Life eternal. They believed that God will provide something better than what life can give now or what death can take later. Here's what John Piper says. What does faith believe in the moment of torture? That if God loved me, he would get me out of this? Is that what faith says? God, if you loved me, you would rescue me from this. No, faith doesn't talk that way. Unbelief talks that way. Masking as faith. No, faith believes that there is a resurrection for believers which is better than the miracle of escape. In other words, faith is utterly in love with all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Faith loves God more than life. Faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I will love him. They believe that what God will prov- will provide something better than what life can give now or what death can take later. Second thing, though, is they believe that God himself is that something better than what life can give now or what death can take later. God himself is that something better than what life can take now or death can take later. And that's what we see in verse 39 and 40. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't, upon their death, get everything that God had promised to them. Just the down payment of it. Right? There's much, much, much more beyond the grave than what God is going to give us in this life, even though what he gives us in this life is awesome and exceedingly precious. And also at times very, very difficult and painful. But though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. God obviously did not feel the obligation to, even though they were approved by him, give them everything he had promised to them. And God doesn't do that. He doesn't put himself on the bench or I should say in the dock and say, judge me for how I handle your life. Judge me for whether or not you feel like I fulfilled all my promises and purposes to you and you're free to feel angry with me if I don't. That's not the way faith talks. Faith is grateful. Faith is humble. Faith is expectant. But faith does not expect to get everything now. We don't get everything now and we're okay with that. Really okay with that. In fact, we're really thrilled with what we do get, because what we get right now is God's approval. God's commendation. God's love. That's what we get now. And God's pleased when we respond like that. God is very pleased when he looks out on our lives and sees that he himself is enough for us and that we're not putting, our, putting conditions on our lives with which we will rejoice in the Lord or not. He's very pleased. He, it's that kind of faith that he's drawn to and loves. It's that kind of faith of whom the world is not worthy. You, if you believe that way and you live that way, where God himself and all that he has provided for you is so much more appealing than what death can take later or what life can give now, you are a profound gift to this world. This world is not worthy of your presence in it. You are a gift to the world that the world does not recognize or appreciate. You are the true, you are on the maximum heaven Hollywood walk of fame. I mean, really, that's the stuff that is gonna, that's eternal, that, that's going to matter Not the 10 seconds or 15 minutes that we get in this life. Or 80 years. Says they did not receive what was promised. Why? Since God had provided something better for us. See, that's what faith believes. God takes it away. If God sends pain. if, if If my if the promises are not being fulfilled, if everything that I experience is not being the way I want to experience, God has something better. It's always better. That's the way God deals with us as his children. The pain that he sends is a loving pain. He has a purpose and a plan to do something with it and through it. Even if it's only understood in eternity. God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What's that referring to? That's referring to the coming of Jesus. He is, after all, mentioned in verse 2 of chapter 12 as the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that all these promises were waiting to be fulfilled in and on. And he hadn't come in these believers' experience in Hebrews 11 yet. They're in the Old Testament. They're in the Old Covenant. They're before the coming of Christ. And yet, God had provided something better for them and for us. And that something better is Christ himself. And let's just think about this. We live on the other side of that, right? They lived on this side looking forward To the coming of Christ. We live on this side. He's come. He's lived. He's died. He's been resurrected. His kingdom is marching on. Right now we're all here. Those of us who are believers. Who are disciples of Christ. You're evidence of it. And we look back. We have already. We already know the fulfillment. So how much greater. Should our faith be. How much. How much should we believe more that God is able to advance his kingdom and glorify his name and do great things and make disciples and plant churches and multiply gospel community groups and, and advance the mission, all that stuff, how that knowing what we know about Jesus and his purpose, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him to go, go therefore make disciples of all nations. He's given us the mandate. We go, we should expect great things. And how much more should we be able to rest If it doesn't all go that smoothly, I mean, how much more should we be, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, Hebrews 12, should we offer a prayer of thanks and sing with a sacrifice of praise that blesses his name? So if we have this side, if we're on this side of the cross and they're on that side of the cross, how much more? They, not seeing Christ, knowing only shadows and not the reality, not seeing with anything like our clarity the purchase price of our redemption by the cross, how much more faith ought we to have than they who are called by his name? Listen to what John Calvin says. A tiny spark of light led them to heaven. Hebrews 11. A tiny spark of light led them to heaven. But now that the sun of righteousness shines on us, What excuse shall we offer if we still cling to earth? Far from concluding this chapter that our circumstances make a smaller demand for faith, this argues that our greater privilege brings greater responsibility. Which is why Jesus, though he was tender with unbelief, he didn't just wink at it. He didn't wink at it. Now, God may place us on either side of the two sides of this record. Versus, we're going to experience both in our lives. We're going to experience the victories and the joys and the surprises and the advancements of verses 33 to 35a. And we're also going to experience the pain for, of verse 35b to 38. Now, it won't always be the same. No, I don't think any of you are probably going to be sawn in two. Some of your kids may, or your great grandchildren, depending on how things go. And we don't need to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid. So, whatever side of the ledger we're on in our lives, experiencing hardship, experiencing victory, no matter what the circumstances, the blessings of the lo- in our lives, nor the trials, will be able to ultimately conquer us because we ourselves as Christians are hidden in the all-conquering Christ. And what matters most is faith by which we may conquer in all circumstances, whether we are being conquered in the process, and it will come through the blood of Christ. I'm going to leave, I'm going to play a sermon clip from Matt Chandler, it's about a four-minute clip, and he he helpfully wraps up this. And I'm going to let you all watch it. So if you'll drop the screen, AV team up there. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to watch this clip. And then Pastor Jonathan, if you'll come up and give the benediction for us, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we will conquer, as we sang in our first song this morning, by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of our testimony. Everyone will overcome. Everyone. All those who are presently have turned from their sins and are turning from their sin and holding on to the righteousness of Jesus, every one of them will overcome. Everyone, not one will be lost, and you will be with us in our joys and in our trials, to manifest your presence, to give us grace, to carry us through. You will always provide, and we thank you that we have you as our God. In Jesus' name, amen. When I first got to the village, we were hopelessly young for all the sexiness that is a young church. It's a little bit of a nightmare. It's fun, but it's a nightmare.